It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening all week long. Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have a lot to discuss today. As you know, that nothing slowed down since November 3rd. I was under the impression it might, but it hasn't. We got three weeks till Christmas. So uh, we got Admiral James Stavridis. He was former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. He probably is going to be doing something with the Biden administration. I am not sure. Uh, Haley Barber's on the ground trying to help out over in Georgia. So much at stake with the Republican agenda. I saw a poll. I didn't see where it's from, but it showed that uh, Raphael Warnock was actually up in Georgia. How the heck could an anti-gun, green deal, new Green Deal guy with no political experience be up in Georgia? Blows me away. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. Do you believe this clown? Mayor Garcetti, it's happening again. Democratic governors are locking down their states as the virus surges. Only this time, their people are fighting back with stats and data that show they should not be shutting down. Fueling their cause are two things, a desire to survive and the countless cases of political hypocrisy. Politicians ignoring their own oppressive rules they expect us to live under. Number two. We've had a few battles, but nobody worked harder for Donald Trump before November 3rd, and I've continued to support his efforts in the campaigns any way that I legally could uh, post the election, and I'll continue to do that. And one of those was supporting the legal process to play out. The Georgia Senate runoff. Uh, It is about to get some presidential attention as the Republican governor looks to fix the voting issues that have the presidential race in doubt, while he's also trying to smooth over the friction he and President Trump have been publicly displaying. Number one. All the ballot suitcases were sealed and they were just stacked in the corner of the warehouse. And for me, I thought this is just not secure. Someone could just wheel these. I could wheel them out to my car. I could have wheeled them to the loading dock. I could have changed out ballots. I could have done anything. A witness at the Georgia State hearing yesterday. The fight goes on for the president and more and more witnesses and fraud step forward. Will these cases gain traction and get the Trump cases to the Supreme Court before the Electoral College seals the deal? So we have uh, six cases basically playing out. Six separate states. You got Nevada, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, those are in Pennsylvania. Uh, They're taking front and center. People are looking at this and saying the fraud is something that can't be walked away from. However, the question is, is it enough in a grander scale to show a coordination and to show a change in the outcome of a specific state? Here's a little of what they're saying at the Georgia State hearing yesterday. Uh, Women and men coming forward with their own stories. Cut 13. I have never seen such poor handling of not only the machinery, um, but the chain of custody from the very beginning was so flawed. All the ballot suitcases were sealed and they were just stacked in the corner of the warehouse. And for me, I thought this is just 
not secure. Someone could just wheel these. I could wheel them out to my car. I could have wheeled them to the loading dock. I could have changed out ballots. I could have done anything. I was wearing my badge and uh, presented my Secretary of State letter to the poll manager. She denied me entry. I voted in person. Everything went fine after that. The next day, um, my mom called the voter center and was told that somebody voted absentee in my name on October 7th. Uh, so these are some of the cases that have the president saying, did I get a raw, a raw deal here? And coming forward is this legal team of the president's led by Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and we'll see where this goes. In Nevada, this is one of the six states the president's looking at. There are 1,500 dead voters, they allege, and 42,248 multiple voters. So people voting more than one time. And if Georgia and uh, Nevada flip, my goodness, we have a, a brand new calculus to look at for, for sure. Uh, Jesse Benal, who is uh, a lawyer for the Trump campaign, on what the chances are of flipping Nevada back to the president's column. Cut 17. There is a large number of some right, uh, sometimes outright fraud and sometimes um, these irregularities. Many, many thousands of votes that were improperly counted, which means many, many thousands of Nevadans whose votes were disenfranchised. 1,506 votes from dead voters. 19,218 votes from non-Nevadans. And particularly striking is 42,284 votes from double voters. So these are some of the allegations. We'll see what pans out. Uh, these seem like very compelling stories, and it bothers me for future elections on down. We are getting a firsthand look, up-close personal look, thanks to the president's relentless pursuit of finding out what's going on with these states he was expected to win or at least contend in. Uh, that is bringing up problems with these different counties. We used to think it was just Florida. Florida straightened out their act. Ohio's never been better. But the other battleground states have to clean it up. And for Georgia, they got to clean it up right away. Why? January 5th, these big Senate, Senate runoffs, which blows me away that these two senators— one is John Ossoff, a guy that is a, does documentaries for a living, kind of a Gen X character who President Obama who looks up to President Obama, even copies the way he speaks and talks in his speeches. Very liberal guy. And then you have uh, Reverend Warnoff, who's on the record as saying that Reverend Jeremiah Wright is his mentor, goddamn America guy, remember him, who is anti-gun. You remember that? Who says you can't serve God or the military? That is true. In Georgia, I mean, I understand my, the, how that might resonate in some urban sections, perhaps, but not in the entire state, which is up until since 1992, before this election, has gone to Republicans. So I find it hard to believe it's this close, but uh, they are neck and neck, and money is pouring in there. In fact, it looks as though with Karl Rove's uh, control uh, on his behest. Stephen Schwartzman has given $15 million in the Senate Leadership Fund. That's going to help. Barack Obama showing how much it means. He'll be joining Georgia's Democrats in a virtual rally today. The vice president will be there today. The president will be there tomorrow. For Governor Brian Kemp, he and the president have been sparring. Basically, Kemp has been on the receiving end because he's not been aggressive in setting up the, the signature verification. He has not been aggressive in pushing back on three outside groups that are now under investigation for how they're handling the Senate runoff. But where was Kemp leading up to the presidential uh, runoff, the presidential election? Cut four. The president, as I said many times, he's a fighter. 
Um, you know, we've had a few battles, but nobody worked harder for Donald Trump before November 3rd, and I've continued to support his efforts in the campaigns any way that I legally could uh, post the election, and I'll continue to do that. And one of those was supporting the legal process to play out. And we'll see where this goes. There's going to be a debate this Sunday. We'll discuss more on that, one 408 If you give the executive branch to Joe Biden, if you leave Nancy Pelosi in charge of that slim majority in the House, and you see these two senators walk away with those slots and take them from Republicans— you will not recognize you will not recognize the direction of this country. It'll be to the left of where Joe Biden intended to go because he'll have no control. He's going to be run entirely by the people that put him there. When we come back, Admiral James Stavridis will tell us about what Joe Biden said yesterday about China, about Iran. I find increasingly disturbing. And we'll talk about his national security team. Then we'll go on the ground to Governor Haley Barber, the former Mississippi governor and former chairman of the Republican National Committee. He's going to talk about what needs to be done for Republicans in a state that used to be, maybe still is, red. Don't go away. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The president's approach to China has been backwards. My concern from the beginning, I've spoken about it, and I've met with Xi more times than anybody had up until the time we left office that I'm aware of, is to make it real clear to China. There are international rules that if you want to play by, we'll play with you. If you don't, we're not going to play. Number one. Number two, it's not about punishing them for the COVID virus. It's about insisting that there be international norms that are established that they play by. Great. So a good stiff talking to. That'll get China's attention. Admiral James Stravitas joins us, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, currently a member of the Carlisle Group and author of several bestsellers, including Sailing True North. Admiral, welcome back. 
Good to hear your voice, Brian. Well, China's going to be number one front and center. You have John, uh, Radcliffe, the DNI uh, director, saying the same thing. Uh, he says he was uh, evidently he was briefed by General McChrystal about the challenges there. Uh, do you agree that they should uh, be looking at China as the number one threat and also that everything the president did with China is backwards? What I've been saying is that uh, China, if you ask me the top three security threats from the United States, it's China, China, and China. You know, it's like real estate. It, it dwarfs every other concern we ought to have. Um, I would say that what's needed here is a strategy. <clears throat> We've been doing too much, you know, kind of episodic uh, jump in and try and negotiate a deal, but then pull back. We've been sending ships into the South China Sea, which I think is the right thing to be doing to demonstrate that it's international waters. But then we kind of pull back on it. We, we need an overall strategy. And, you know, what I heard uh, President-elect Biden say was that we will confront China uh, where we have to on everything from, I assume, from coronavirus to the South China Sea, and that we will cooperate with them where we can find ways to cooperate with them. I don't think that's a bad strategy, and it kind of makes sense to me. No one's been confronted China. We've been t- trying to come honest on the virus from day one. They, during during yeah. Joe Biden, when he was vice president, they built two islands, promised not to militarize them. They did both times. Yeah, and here I hope that uh, President-elect Biden will have learned from the eight years he was in office. And the philosophy of the Obama administration was uh, to cooperate with China, hoping that that would pull them into the family of nations, if you will. They've shown us definitively that ain't happening. COVID, top of the list. South China Sea, top of the list. Uh, intellectual property theft continuing unabated. All those things are still going in the wrong direction. So yeah. let's let President-elect Biden get into office. Let's see who the Secretary of Defense is going to be, by the way. And then let's make some assessments. But I agree with you. We have got to confront China where we must. We may find places we can cooperate. I think that's the right approach. Admiral uh, General Crystal told uh, uh, reportedly, well, he told Jonathan Swan that he told Joe Biden this. He says, my concern would be that we're going to wake up one morning and China has done a fait accompli, basically taken Taiwan by showering uh, the skies with missiles and rockets. And are we going to go to a war to save Taiwan? That's the question. And the answer is the closer we get to Taiwan now, the less likely that eventuality comes out. So, again— my hope for the Biden administration would be to follow on with what we saw in the last year of the Trump administration. This is an area where the Trump administration, I think, has gotten it right, which is let's work with Taiwan. Let's sell them more advanced defensive weapon systems. Let's have high-level delegations visit. There have been two from the Trump administration. Who will be the first to go to Taiwan from the Biden administration? We ought to be thinking about training missions that we can do together, and we ought to think about Uh, working very closely economically with Taiwan, which, by the way, Brian, is the 25th largest economy in the world. It's not some insignificant little island. So I think a policy that pulls us closer to Taiwan would be smart, and that would be part of the Mm -hmm. confront where we must, because I agree with my good friend Stan McChrystal. uh, If we just kind of distance ourselves from Taiwan, that increases the chances 
of miscalculation and adventurism on the part of Beijing. Michael Hanlon uh, talked to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, yesterday, and he says he predicted a coming defensive budget cliff, uh, for, uh, the budget hitting a cliff and just falling off. He says there's a reasonable prospect that they could actually decline significantly. Budgets are expected to be flat instead of the 3 to 5% increase annually. Uh, is there a fear of the Pentagon about budget cuts? Huge. And I think people are happy that it's a Biden administration, not a Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders administration, where I think you could see a president pushing for five or 10 percent negative uh, budget impact. I think a Biden administration, as I look at the team coming together, and again, we need to know who Secretary of Defense is going to be, I think will be flat, maybe a one percent up. And the reason is they may want to cut defense. You know, it's Al Capone. Why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. $740 billion annual budget there. But you and I know, and we've talked about it often enough over the years, it's a very factual case to be made for spending that money. And by the way, I'll close with this. It, it, even at $740 billion, Brian, you know this, that's only about 3% of our gross domestic product far less than we spent on defense in other eras. It's a rational amount of money to spend. I think the case is there and will be made effectively with President-elect Biden to keep defense at a minimum level. With the assassination, it looks like the Israelis are using some remote remote machine gun uh, and maybe cooperation from the inside of the nuclear, uh, the head of the nuclear uh, weapons program inside Iran and Soleimani's uh, killing months ago. Uh, and the isolation of them in the region outside Lebanon uh, and Syria and perhaps Turkey, it looks as though the pre- Joe Biden might be in a good spot to put pressure on Iran. But instead, I think he's going to go the other way and go back to the JCPOA, cut 40. Part of that relates to the ability to get Europe back in on our side. Europe now has basically stiff-armed the United States based on the president's embrace of autocrats and and stick poking his finger in their eyes. And so I think it's going to depend a lot on what will change the circumstance if Europe comes along with the United States. But it's going to be a hard, hard negotiation. I have no I have no illusions about that. And the bottom line is that we can't allow Iran to get nuclear weapons and look and how they, damaging. He goes on, and he goes on from there. But basically, he wants to go back into the agreement, extend the sunset clauses, and release all the sanctions. Is that the right move? No. Um, in my view, we ought to stop litigating the old deal. You know, good deal, bad deal. It's a dead deal. What we ought to be doing is targeting a new deal. Iranians are not going to like that, but they are under stiff sanctions, obviously. Their economy is cracked, and they're suffering badly from COVID. Um, I think that if we go, the part that President-elect Biden is getting... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share right is we don't want to go to Tehran at the start of this thing. We want to go to Brussels. Let's get the Europeans together with us. Let's go to the Iranians and say, hey, 
the old deal is a dead deal. Let's do a new deal. That'll include a little bit of sanctions relief up front as a sweetener, carrot, but continue some of the sanctions, stick, get them back to the table, and construct a new, tougher deal because the old deal was not tough enough. Thomas Friedman said, uh, we only got 30 seconds left, that the precision weapons that blew up the Saudi oil fields should be the priority. That freaked everybody out. Indeed. And we ought to recognize that Iran will not hesitate to use their weapon systems against Saudi oil fields, against tankers in the Gulf, against U.S. interests. Um, all of that is coming due. Iran is going to be the first crisis of the Biden administration. Uh, Admiral, thanks so much. Admiral James Stravita, it's always great to talk to you. Same here, Brian. Be good. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, coming up next, Governor Haley Barber inside the Georgia Senate runoffs. He's going to give us an insight of what Republicans have to do and why the Wall Street Journal is saying all the pressures on the president. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If Georgia Republicans and conservatives don't show up and vote, then there's no uh, way that we keep these seats. And that's what's got to happen, because I do not want to see Chuck Schumer become the leader in the Senate, in which we don't uh, have just a change in the Senate. We have a reversion in this. If you want to see the tax cuts go, or you want to see these legislative victories that the president has made, then you've got to elect David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, because if we don't, then it's a vote to say that for Trump voters, it's a vote not to keep what Trump has done. We've got to make that clear. Who wanted to get that Senate seat from Kelly Leffler and was not able to was uh, third in the runoff. She was second, and Warnock was first. Now it looks like they're in a virtual dead heat in a state that was once red. Haley Barber joins us now, uh, former Mississippi governor and former chairman of the RNC. Uh, governor, welcome back. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. So you know, I was I watching. Calling. I'm actually talking to you from uh, the Georgia campaign headquarters. What are you going to be doing? Well, they asked me to be the co-chairman, vice-chairman of our fundraising that the Senate Campaign Committee, the two campaigns, the Georgia Republican Party have all fooled their efforts and asked Carl Rove to be the chairman and me and some others to be co-chairmen. But I was here last night for an event and spoke a couple of times, and I'm going to be, again, going out today, going to do four stops tomorrow. Uh, so I'm doing a little bit of everything, but uh, raising money and trying to make people understand the criticality of this race. I mean, I've been doing this 52 years, Brian, and I think this is the most important election as it relates to the future of our country that I've ever participated in. Because if you give the Democrats these two seats— yep. It's a 50-50 tie. The vice president, Kamala Harris, breaks the ties. And the Democrats have already said what they want to do. They want to make D.C. a state. They want to make Puerto Rico a state. They want to get rid of the filibuster and rules that that make the Senate uh, a place of deliberation instead of like the House, which is just so many straight party-line votes. Uh, they want to pack the Supreme Court by adding three seats. They they want a four billion, 
dollar tax increase, Joe Biden said out of his own mouth. And the idea that nobody who makes under $400,000 will have a tax increase is silly. That, that, that map doesn't even come close to working if you're going to bring in $400 billion. Yeah, he says he wants to get the top bracket up to Yeah, he wants to get the top bracket up to 39.6. He wants to get the 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 corporate rate from 21 to 28. When we finally got competitive internationally, we were dropping down to catch up to the rest of the world, not to get ahead of the rest of the world, then we're dropping back. But that's what's at stake, but the problem is the president has not been all in for this yet. But that changes Saturday. Have you spoken to the president about the message Saturday? Because he's still fighting for this state. He's still fighting for five other states, too. Well, and look, I I, I campaigned for him. I gave money to him. I spoke many, many times in many meetings of different types. uh, A lot of people don't, don't like Trump's personality, but he did good things for the country. He did. You know, and, and and they showed up in the in the unemployment going down to having the most people employed in the history of the country, the most women employed in the history of the country, the lowest rate among African Americans and Hispanics. But also, we saw income increases, which it, during the Obama administration, virtually all the income increases went to the higher income people. This is the first time in years. That the lower income working class actually got a bigger share of the income increases than the wealthy. All of those things are good for our country, not to mention re- regulatory reform. Uh, so that we no, no, I understand what the president did, but he's still fighting for that state, and he's upset about the way this state was running things, especially when it came to signature verification and all these mail-in ballots. Uh, what is going to change uh, for January 5th? Well, uh, I've been in briefings about this. I don't want to go too far on revealing things, but there's a very active awareness. And there are things being put into place to make sure that we have legal ballots and that they all get counted and that illegal ballots, none get counted. Huge, five million people voted, you know, and to... Uh, I'm not going to say that any election is going to be perfect and no mistakes or no cheating, but uh, I think this is going to be very, very, very uh, well scrutinized. But the main thing is what bothers me is to hear talk of people saying, well, they they cheated, so I'm not going to vote. Why should I vote? Well, I'll tell you what, your vote can't get counted unless you vote. So we need every one of our people to vote for David and to vote for Kelly and to vote for keeping a Republican majority in the Senate right. so that we don't end up giving Joe Biden a blank check. I want you and to hear it. I, looking, one of those people, Governor Haley Barber, one of those people is Lynn Wood. Listen to this lawyer for the president. Listen. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. They've got to demand publicly, repeatedly, consistently. Brian Kemp 
call a special session of the Georgia legislature, and if they do not do it, if Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue do not do it, they have not earned your vote. Don't you give it to them. Well, that, Why that, would you go back and vote in another rigged election? For God's sakes, fix it. How, how did you almost faint when you heard that? Almost puked. The uh, the idea that because this guy is being flashy about himself, it is it that we ought to give the country to the left. And 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 what we know is going to happen, you know, Brian. When I talk to you about D.C. statehood, Puerto Rican statehood, pack the Supreme Court, the Democrats have said this. They have said this. Chuck Schumer has said. After Georgia, we are going to change the country, change the course of the country. And for that guy to say, well, the last election wasn't right, and blah, 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 blah. I don't know whether he's right or wrong, but I do know there's an election we can do something about that has the highest stakes for the country. And that's why I'm down here trying to help. I'm from Mississippi. I'm not from here. I know. But we— we need everybody to vote, and everybody that voted January 3rd to vote for, for Kelly and David. These people have extremely good records as senators. They might not have said everything that man once said, but they have been supportive. They have been supportive. And plus, the senators don't make the rules when it comes to voting. Here's Doug Collins, congressman from Georgia, who wanted to be the next senator. He thinks, Stacey, these three outside groups that are being investigated, this is going to be the key. Cut seven. We need to make sure that our elections offices and our secretary of state are making sure these are fair elections. But I also have to say, Martha, while we're doing this, people cannot give up on this system because right now we've got to turn our voters back out. Now, if Stacey Abrams has never conceded the governor's race, I don't know if I can call her a former governor, but here's the problem that she had. She worked to actually try and weaken these standards. She actually got into the consent decree that was signed by the uh, the state of Georgia into this thing that actually weakened this. But also they actually went out and encouraged their voters to use the absentee ballot system to make it work. That's what we saw in here. So for Republicans, it's time for us to also get back out and make sure that every voter that we have gets out to vote. And you guys got to monitor these elections and these three outside groups who are soliciting people from the outside uh, and and messing with the system. This secretary of state was asleep at the switch on November 3rd. Are you going to make sure, Governor, he's not asleep again? Well, the thing I'm going to make try to make sure of is every single person that voted for Donald Trump vote for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, every single one. Uh, God bless Congressman Collins. He's trying to, to tell people, that don't, you know, he, he's a guy that finished third, finished out of the money. He, I can't imagine how disappointed he is. Just barely. He's a, yeah, that's right. He's a, he's a serious guy. He did a great job in, in the impeachment hearings. Uh, and he's, his heart's in this. And he's telling people the truth. Vote in this election. The best way to help Warnock and Ossoff win is for our people to not vote. That's crazy. That's crazy. And so I'm down here working with everybody. Paul Rove and everybody else. That's right. to, To make sure our people vote 
understand the stakes. Do not give Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and uh, AOC and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. Do not give them a blank check because that's exactly what they'll have if we lose these two races. So, so Governor, uh, I, I look at these two candidates, and it's not like they're even close. I mean, you have uh, John Ossoff, who's a documentarian with no experience, who just copies the cadence of Barack Obama and his words. And then you have uh, Reverend Warnock, might be a nice guy, but he's anti-gun. He's for the new Green Deal. He says you can't worship God and go into the military. How the heck is he even close in Georgia? Are you concerned that you're misreading Georgia and you're and you're trying to win over the old Georgia, maybe not the new Georgia? Well, of course, I, I recognize there are a huge number of veterans in Georgia. There are a lot of active military in Georgia, and a whole lot of those people are Christians. And when this guy says from the pulpit that you cannot be in the military and be a Christian, that's got to be incredibly offensive to those people. It's offensive to me. Uh, Also, you know, here's a guy that invited Fidel Castro to come to his church. There are some people in Georgia who are old enough to remember the terrors of the Castro regime in Cuba, and they're being in line, allied with the Russians in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, that they were going to be the instrument that Khrushchev was going to use. And this guy, has he come to his church? Come on. But well, Georgia has changed. There's no question. Georgia has changed. Georgia's grown enormously. Uh, and, and we have to make sure that our people all get out and vote because some of the change has uh been in favor of the Democrats, some of the population changes. So the one thing that, you know, as uh, Tom Cotton told us yesterday on Fox and Friends or Tuesday, he, he said uh, this is a, the president, the gain in the state houses, the gain in the House, the fact that you still you you almost have the Senate again, even though the odds were stacked against the Republicans is because of the president. So having said that, the president is ticked off. You don't need to, You could see it in his face. He really feels like he was robbed for this election. Are you concerned that if the president comes out and only talks about his election and the, and his disenchantment with the system, that it will discourage the turnout? And will you express that to him if true? I don't believe the president would come down here with that intention or purpose. Yes. Look, the man got 74 million votes for president. And there are plenty of things that smell funny. Uh, you know, just the problem you have to, that you have in this is you've got to have about three to five states. And in each state, you have to prove that there were more illegal votes than the difference in the election. Because that's the standard for turning out elections. There have to be more illegal votes than the difference between the two. That's I'm waiting for for being mad, let's just say. But also, I know that he loves the country. I know he's proud of what he's done. And I know that he realizes it will be absolutely, totally erased 
in record time if they if they are able to get rid of the filibuster and change the rules of the Senate. It won't, it won't, it won't take them a year to do those things. And he didn't want that. He, 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 he is proud of his record of success for the country. And, you know, I, I think it's just terrible that it happened, that COVID came along when it did, because the country was was hitting the best economic period in 50 years. You just look at the numbers. Yep. Don't, don't, don't take my word for it. Even with the impeachment uh, and the Mueller report, he was he was en route to a possibly an easy win against the worst candidate in my lifetime. They didn't even try and said it was because of the pandemic, but I, I don't believe he was capable of actually campaigning. So it was the perfect storm. Uh, Governor, I'm going to have to end it there, but good luck. For them to have uh, the two bigwigs, you and Carl Rove down there, that's how much it means to Republicans. We'll see uh, the vice president will be there today. Barack Obama will be there today and the president there tomorrow. So you are in the eye of the storm again. Governor Haley Barber, thank you. Thank you, Bob. You got it. one 408 I'll be back with you in a second. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now, the good news is that a lot of politicians have been speaking out very clearly about the need for us in the public to stay safe. The bad news is that these politicians haven't all been practicing what they preach. What is it with these Democrats? What, you guys think Corona respects your office too much to come off you? Because don't forget, it got the president of the United States. It's not gonna be starstruck by Governor Hairgel. In fact, in a way, these Democrats are even worse than the anti-maskers because of their hypocrisy. At least when those dudes break the rules, they're open about it. All right, there you go. That was uh, The Daily Show uh, pointing out what we've been talking about. Um, in what a show that used to be humorous. I don't know what that, what is with this guy. Uh, John, listen on WVGA in Valdosta, Georgia. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing today? Hey, what's on your mind? Uh, what's on my mind is I kind of feel like Len Wood does in a way. We went and waited to vote. We did our deal. And the election was stolen from us down here. Now, are we have Republican people here. Now, my state senator is excellent, Ellis Black. He sent a letter, and all the senators want to call back in session. No, 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 Brian, our governor didn't do it. My representative, Mr. LaHood, an excellent person also, wrote a letter and asked to call the session back. No, 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 no. Now we have a video that's gone viral on TV about people cheating in that county up there after after they sent everybody yeah, home. John, maybe you're going to be like Florida. Said, John, maybe you're going to be like Florida. You needed the scrutiny to, to crack down. And if you change things now, watching Laura Ingram last night, uh, Kemp and company feels you change things out, the Democrats are going to say you're suppressing the vote. So I know this. The Lindsey Graham says you got to go back and you have to have double signature verification. And now we're back to doing this. Uh, I think... With just three weeks into the other vote, I'm not sure you can do this, make some changes. Uh, I think you guys just got to show up and decide what represents Georgia. My goodness, these two candidates are terrible. Ossoff couldn't win a congressional seat, and Reverend Warnock couldn't be less equipped 
to represent what I believe George is all about. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Geraldo Rivera is getting set to be joining us shortly. Uh, we got that uh, disturbing story about those three marshals being shot as they try to get this, uh, this cop killer out of the Bronx. Uh, that is uh, making national news. And we also have a lot, of, a lot of drama as the president heads down to Georgia this weekend. And we have Barack Obama holding a virtual rally. Remember those days when former presidents kind of just hung out in the backdrop and didn't really do anything unless their wives were running for president? But even George Bush wasn't helping his brother Jeb run because there was a certain quality. I remember I just read a book about James Monroe. And he's good friends with John Quincy Adams, and he was great friends with Andrew Jackson. And they're running against each other. He goes, I'm a former president. I like both these guys. I'm just going to stay out of it. Barack Obama doesn't subscribe to any of that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. Do you believe this, Mayor Garcetti? It's happening again. Democratic governors are locking down their states as the virus surges. Only this time, their people are fighting back with stats and data and a ton of resolve. Fueling their cause are two things, a desire to survive and the country's cases of political hypocrisy. Politicians ignoring their own oppressive rules they expect us to live under. Number two. We've had a few battles, but nobody worked harder for Donald Trump before November 3rd, and I've continued to support his efforts in the campaigns any way that I legally could uh, post the election, and I'll continue to do that. And one of those was supporting the legal process to play out. Uh, this is Governor Brian Kemp. He's got some problems with the president. The president's got problems with him. The Georgia Senate runoff is about to get some presidential attention as the Republican governor looks to fix the voting issues that have the presidential race in doubt, while he also tries to smooth over the friction between the top man in the country and him. Number one. All the ballot suitcases were sealed, and they were just stacked in the corner of the warehouse. And for me, I thought, this is just... Not secure. Someone could just wheel these. I could have wheeled them out to my car. I could have wheeled them to the loading dock. I could have changed out ballots. I could have done anything. Uh, that is just one of the many witnesses with disturbing uh, eyewitness accounts of what happened in a six separate states, and that was, of course, Georgia. The fight goes on as the president and more gets more and more witnesses to step forward and talk about the fraud they experienced. Will these cases gain traction? Will get the president's case to the Supreme Court before the Electoral College seals the deal? Geraldo Rivera, uh, it looks as though this thing is starting to get to the courts. Little by little, they made their case in Nevada yesterday with a lot of dead people voting, 1,500. And they claim proof that 42,248 multiple votes. That could change Nevada. Well, Brian, uh, change it how exactly? You know, are you going to have a new election? Uh, you know, are, are these, uh, these... Well, you toss the ballots and then see what the numbers are. How about that? 
I don't. I I I think that it is very dangerous to give people false hope, and I think that by focusing on allegations, unproven allegations in any of these battleground states, and then asking people to therefore disbelieve the outcome of the election is that's a false hope. I mean, it really is. To date, he is Bill Barr. To date, we have seen no fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. That's the Attorney General of the United States. That's the most trusted advisor to the President of the United States. I, I think, Brian, we've got to stop cheerleading what is anarchy, essentially. You, you've had an election. There's always, uh, you know, a hanky-panky, particularly in big, big cities run by the Democratic machine. It's been happening since uh, Mayor Daley's time when the dead people voted twice in Cook County. Uh, you know, I, I, I get that, but I, there's no mechanism that I see or legislative activity that I see that could possibly in any way overturn the results of this election. I can appreciate where you're coming from. I can appreciate where you're coming from on that, uh, and uh, especially on Bill Barr. I am, the, and I heard you last night. I am 100%. Bill Barr is the, is the president's MVP. Everything you said last night of the five, I 100% agree with. And even though these numbers might not in all these states turn over, what I think it's doing is a great benefit for the election process. Well, we just go, oh, far is a mess. Well, they fixed it. Well, you know, Georgia's a mess. They're about to fix Georgia. Believe me, we're all going to know about these counties. And now we're going to go out and fix Nevada. And along the way, if the numbers are egregious, like, for example, they found 4,000 votes roughly in Georgia, maybe 5,000. Just found them. They were uncounted. That's not okay. Right? And it's not okay in any way. I don't care who wins. It's not okay. So Ohio, we feel great about. We feel great about Florida now. We feel, uh, we, we feel pretty good about North Carolina. People are concerned about that. But the mail-in voting and other things need to be scrutinized before we do this again. And if nothing else, the president is making these states accountable. Can we agree on that? Yes, absolutely. And I think you stated uh, uh, powerfully and accurately. The, the issue, though, is this. The president of the United States is going to Georgia Saturday. Yep. Is he going to Georgia to complain about how he was robbed? Or is he going to Georgia uh, not undermining the electoral process, but rather encouraging people to vote so overwhelmingly? This is what he should be doing. Vote for Kelly Loeffler. Vote for David Perdue. Make sure that there is a, a check and balance in government in Washington, D.C. Don't be so angry at the system that you stay home. I mean, that's why Don Jr. was so, uh, you know, so upset about it. That's why he, he sent that, uh, that his tweet that here it is. Let me just read this. It's from Don Jr. I'm seeing a lot of talk from people that are supposed to be on our side telling GOP voters not to go out and vote for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. That is nonsense. Ignore these people, writes Donald Trump Jr. We need all of our people coming out to vote for Kelly and David. That's what I hope the president's angle, his thrust is tomorrow, not, a, not woe is me. Yeah, and I think I'll have both. And I think it'll be this. This is, this is what I would do. I'll, I'll take it a step further. I would say this. We're going to battle in every single state. But should these numbers not go my direction upon further review, I want a country to come back to in four years that is not a mess. And the best way for me to do that is for you guys to hold on to the Senate and hold the fort down until I can come back. That's what I would say. I think that's great. You know, I used the, on my own show, used the example of Grover Cleveland. 
And you're the historian. But the 19th century president from New Jersey who was elected, he won the popular vote, he was elected. Then he lost the re-election. His wife, the first lady, said, don't change any of the furniture because we're coming back. And the third cycle, he, re- he won again. That's what Trump can do if he wants to. He's so powerful. If he molds this new working-class Republican Party, if he really gets, uh, you know, uh, uh, working men and women mm-hmm. of all races to get behind a new Republican Party, energized, that believes in free enterprise, that believes in the, uh, the American way, that believes in capitalism as the engine of uh, equality and so forth, then he could, as the leader of that mo- movement, he can either create the new movement and give it on to someone else, or he can run for re-election. But to continue to undermine the system now, I think, is dangerous. You're right. Obviously, there are reforms that are needed. Why don't we have one system of voting in this country? We're all voting for the same, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, at the presidential level. Have, have one system, one, one yep. machine, whatever it is, rather than this whole patchwork this is the law on this one, and this one is different from that one, and it's, uh, it's preposterous. We're well, look, one nation. And here's how we're going to benefit, Geraldo. When, when people talk about the Dominion machines, now almost everybody in the country is going to know exactly what we're talking about. We're going to be able to say to our lawmaker, the state representative, what have you guys decided on in terms of a voting system? You know, so we're going to be we're, – we're all better educated now as a country, uh, and, and, and the president deserves credit for that. Uh, and even though Sidney Powell seems to be off the reservation in terms of practicality, uh, she's making these people accountable to explain their system. So let's see it. Now I'm finding the CEO of Dominion on these shows uh, defending their system, who, by the way, a lot of states aren't happy with. So I think we're all going to be better off. Let's move on and talk about something else you can relate to. And that's the small business owner trying to make a living, been told for the good of the country, don't. Don't go to work. And shut down again. And the restaurants in California and Michigan, and specifically, they're rising up and speaking out. I want you to hear Joe Vacari uh, last night. He was talking about being shut down again by this Michigan governor. And the fact is, it is not doesn't make sense. If you want him to follow the data, then you would leave him open. Cut 34. The Michigan restaurant and uh, hospitality industry has pr- said that Uh, they can show that 4.2% of COVID cases come from restaurants. Uh, You know, it's not a 25% or 35%, it's 4%. And they said shopping malls are 9%. So we're 4% Mm -hmm. we're closed. Shopping malls are open and they're at 9%. That's the frustrating part for all the thousands of restaurants. And again, Michigan has already had 2,000 restaurants closed permanently. And if this continues, they predict another 4,000 restaurants closing. So 6,000 restaurants is, you know, devastating to any, any, economy. <laughs> any economy. So do you understand? I understand about being practical, but don't kill me while you're trying to protect me. Y- your thought. I, I, I think, you know, I understand the rage. Of course we do. And my dad owned a little coffee shop in Kings Park. Then he had a diner. In your what would he say, what would he say to you? Island. What would he say to you? If he you... would be so, he'd say, you know, these people are killing me. Yep. He would say to me, we were always a marginal business anyway. It's a very, very tough business, the restaurant business. Uh, and I was the overnight uh, short order cook because he couldn't afford to hire one, even though I was in law school at the time. Uh, you know, I get it. I, I get, you know, uh, uh, how difficult it is, particularly in that industry, you uh, 
And I, I, I want everyone uh, when from right now on, whenever you go anywhere and there's a service person, double tip them because of all they've been through. They are really frontline uh, emergency workers. I, I, I love them and I understand their their anger, their their frustration. Uh, but you know, I I don't attribute to every. Although I have my feelings about the Blasio, I've made very clear on this program. Um, even about Eric Garcetti, Garcetti in L.A. and uh, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, I've got problems with all of them more or less. Uh, but they they're not insincere people. They're trying that in the face of this vicious killer. You know, these are real numbers. Really? When they when they say, I got the numbers here. It's like a th- almost 3,000 dead yesterday, over 200,000 new cases, 100,000 uh, more hospitalizations. I mean, even though they're heavy-handed moves by these bureaucrats, and sometimes they are illogical, you have to understand the desperation, you know, particularly when we got a vaccine that's going to make this all a bad memory six but, months from now. But, but Geraldo— Everything you said is correct, except for it's like saying the murders are up in Chicago, so I'm going to take the the guns away from the innocent people. Or I'm going to lock up everybody because murders are up. Yeah, murders are up, but it's not my fault. And if you're going to keep Target open, let me keep Danny's Bar and Grill open. You well, can't have gonna, it both ways. Know, I, I have no position on that. I, I really, I, 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 as I said, I'm deeply sympathetic. And well, I'm in support of the rest of that atmosphere. If people want to go into an atmosphere where four percent are are positive or nine percent are positive, I think that this the country should be free enough that people can take that risk if Thank they you. want to. I choose not to uh, because uh, he listened to the advice of the experts, Brian. Right. Uh, I if if I own that Staten Island uh, bar and, and the and a bar two blocks away from me is open, and you shut me down, and I know if you sh- if I shut down again, I'm done. I'm staying open. I'm doing with and, – and that guy goes to prison. I'd go to jail. I'd rather go to jail because he's got a well, GoFundMe page. He's got attention because I'd like to go down with, with a fight. And if, I, but, I think that, that, that I have absolutely no problem with that. Those were real people spontaneously motivated. They gathered in and outside that bar last night and the night before. Those were real, sincere American voters who are expressing their freedoms. The guy who wants to go to – I think it's ridiculous to have under, undercover sheriffs uh, posing as customers that then they take their coats off and they got their uniforms underneath and other sheriffs come in as if they were busting the mafia. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, but I understand the desperation that is motivating a lot of these moves. I mean, yeah. when you have bodies in uh, in in uh, you know uh, makeshift morgues uh, in refrigerator trucks. But one has nothing to do uh, with the other. That's what I'm saying. I, I went to a restaurant last night. Deal was plexiglass on either side. And they t- I asked the guy how much you invest. He goes, I had to put thousands of dollars in in order to make this place safe. But, you know, it was crowded because it was obvious the restaurant took precautions. So people felt good about going out. And if they don't, they won't. So you're letting the free market tell you where to go. And the free market said, go to Catholic school. The public school says, don't go to school. So I, more and more people are going, I'm going to go to the private school. I'm going to find the money to get my kids to private school. So you're taking all my options away while still getting paid. These governors and mayors are still getting paid. They're still living in free housing. They're still getting their drivers while telling restauranters they're not allowed to – restaurant tours, they're not allowed to work 70 hours a week. Just They're taking away the right to earn a living. I, I've never thought I'd see it in this country. I have no problem with anybody who does anything – as long as they wear a mask, yes, and they keep their distance, thank you, and they wash their damn hands, yep, 
that's fine. Then you do. Then you're free as long as you're not infringing on my health, yes, my family's health. You do. You do your thing. That's why we need Mayor Rivera. Governor Rivera <laughs> or President Rivera, because I could live under you. <laughs> I can't live under this regime. Thank you, Geraldo. Uh, Have a great weekend. All right. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. On the first day I'm inaugurated to say I'm going to ask the public for 100 days to mask. Just 100 days to mask. Not forever, 100 days. And I think we'll see a significant reduction if we occur that, that that occurs with vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. Let me just say this. I am so tired of him acting sanctimonious when it comes to masks. We're all wearing masks. I've been in uh, Washington, D.C., been in New York, Los Angeles, uh, Florida three times since this pandemic started. So uh, I will, everywhere I go, there's masks. Some are very permissive. New Jersey, too. Some are very permissive. Some aren't. But everyone, uh, it doesn't matter. People are walking around with masks on. If you're alone on the beach, you don't need to wear a mask. If you're alone in your car, you don't. So don't be ridiculous about it. Uh, Every waiter and waitress is wearing a mask. We don't need Joe Biden or Donald Trump to tell us to wear a mask to keep our distance. Uh, We we get it. It's not hard. Tony is in Orlando. Hey, Tony. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I want to know, when are we going to stop fighting about wearing a mask? When are we going to start fighting about uh, uh, closing down business? When are we going to start fighting the CCP? That gave us this coronavirus. Yes. Where's President Trump pushing back on Xi Jinping about uh, giving us false information and not letting our scientists go in there and figure out what the heck happened? I, what, he should have. I, I think. I think Tony. I think that's valid. He should push harder to get our scientists in there. But he has called them out from day one and been condemned for doing it. And Joe Biden is not going to make you feel better. Yesterday, and I'll paraphrase. He said, "I'm not into. Uh, I, I. I'm not into punishing China. I want to work with China to make sure this doesn't happen again." Does he? You know, what, does he think this is like an after-school special? China's an evil empire. They have no interest in being transparent, or they would have done it already. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Our observers were there, the witnesses. And they said things were normal um, up until about 1025 or 1030, at which time they say the lady with the blonde braids, so you can see who that is there with the blue apron, came out and told or yelled uh, to everyone, we're stopping the counting. We're stopping work. We'll see you all in the morning at 830. So that meant that all the people left. You can see that on the video over time within about 10 minutes. That included the Republican monitors and the press 
who have a right under you know, Georgia's statute to be present, but they left. What happened was four people did not leave. They stayed. And from there, you see the video that you showed earlier, where slowly but surely they pull four suitcases out from under a table and they begin working for about two hours uh, behind closed doors. And this was sent to me by a Trump official yesterday, and then we've seen it all over the news, especially in primetime on Fox. And that was uh, the woman describing what was going on in a room that they were told to leave. And you see a table come in, and then these ballots come in from out under the table. Uh, Griff Jenkins joins us now from Washington, D.C. He's our uh, great correspondent, helping us out in the morning. Now, Griff, we all watched this video. You called the Secretary of State for Georgia. Did they explain this effectively to you, how these ballots can just appear from underneath the table? Hey, Brian. Yeah, good morning to you and your listeners. So it was such a busy morning, and when you look, anybody looks at that video, you're like, whoa, what is going on here? And so I pressed the senior source in the uh, Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who is in the Republican's office, talked to this uh, senior uh, member of, of the staff and said, you know, come on, you got to be kidding me. And he said, no, listen, you have to understand a couple things, Griff. Number one, the video doesn't fully tell the story. We have had our investigators look at every inch of that video, and it does not accurately depict the situation at all because they had, the Secretary of State's office, had an actual designated observer in that very room that you didn't see on camera observing things, and that ballots weren't brought in in, quote, suitcases, but rather the containers and things that look like a suitcase that they're in are actually what the ballots are supposed to be in, and that there is no wrongdoing. They say that because of some uh, allegations that stem back to the uh, uh, June uh, special elections in Fulton County. They had uh, this observer to specifically be there for this very reason. And ultimately, bottom line, this uh, official tells me, he said, listen, this is just not an accurate story. It did not happen. There was no voter fraud. And we saw publicly, of course, Gabe Sterling, the elections chief, runs the voting systems here in Georgia, say that uh, he sees absolutely no wrongdoing, and, and he tweeted that out. I can't tell you, by the way, Brian, break a little bit of news. Literally minutes ago, the Fulton County Board of Elections, that's where this video is from, right, uh, just voted to recertify for the third time the election results from the 2020 presidential election there. They had discussion of this video. They chose that they had, quote, confidence uh, in the log uh, from the meeting that just concluded. They had confidence in the election uh, uh, chief's statement. The investigators found no fraud. And the vote, by the way, to recertify went straight down partisan lines. The Democrats on the board voted yes. The Republicans voted no. The chairperson, who I presume will be a, is a Democrat, voted in favor uh, of doing it with the Democrats. So it's really caused quite a stir here. And I'm at the Capitol right now at this very moment waiting for uh, as many as several hundred supporters of the president because the March for Trump bus tour has come here to the Capitol. Their theme and their chants are stop the steal. They want integrity in the election. They believe, like the president does, that it was stolen. And they're not going to be happy uh, with this development, with the investigators debunking the video and, of course, Fulton County recertifying in favor, ultimately, of Biden. So, I mean— the woman has a different story. She said she was asked to leave the room and there's no one in the room. The Secretary of State says their reports are told you there was someone in there and that's the way you do it. Here's this Jackie Pick, one of the witnesses, the attorney in Trump campaign volunteer, cut 14. 
From the looks of it, I can tell you that whenever you eject the public, which includes the press and the opposing party or, or any party's uh, monitors, you're acting outside the law all by itself, regardless of whatever else is going on, whatever else will unfold as time goes on. This will be part of the president's contest petition that he filed today in Georgia to basically contest the results of the election because the president only has to show that there are illegal uh, ballots or votes or those that are cast in doubt sufficient to overcome the margin of victory, to cast doubt on the outcome of the election. That's his only burden. Certainly, we can well, believe in this amount of time with that many scanners, there are enough votes there to eclipse the margin of victory. Well, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, Griff? I do, Brian, because I've been talking all morning long, numerous texts and phone calls with a source in Governor Kemp's office. And Governor Kemp's office basically says, look, we support President Trump and we support every possible legal uh, uh, challenge he wants to bring. Uh, he pointed out we were playing today the soundbite from Governor Kemp talking to Laura uh, Ingram last night about wanting, calling for uh, signature matches. He uh, says he was doing that weeks ago, and this is just the third time now he's probably come out and say that. But ultimately, with respect to these witnesses here in the state capitol yesterday uh, that we just played, the governor's office says, listen, bring a suit. We certainly will make sure it is heard and, and given the time of day. But really, outside of a PR event, um, there really isn't much for him to do. Of course, Giuliani was wanting uh, these witnesses to be heard in front of the state Senate so that the state legislature would ultimately overturn the election results. But uh, the governor's office view is that we just haven't seen in a court of law the kind of evidence that would lead to that sort of movement. Yeah, I, so, so far in Georgia. And we do know they did find, what, 4,000-plus votes that just were uncounted? Right. But, you know, a couple of weeks unfortunately, ago. it's a math problem, right? So uh, ultimately, the number of uh, votes that they would need to find to overturn it uh, is, is, is so much larger than what any of these individual instances have, have produced. And, and that's ultimately the president's biggest challenge. So, you know, we saw Laura Ingram had her town hall last night. We know we have a debate over this weekend, and we know on January 5th the whole, uh, the whole world is going to be focused, or at least the whole country is going to be focused on the runoff elections because it will be the only check if Joe Biden's able to hold on and become president of the United States, even though these are tiny margins in the House and the Senate, basically 50-50, but 51-50 really. Uh, so we, th there's a lot at stake. These candidates also couldn't be more different. Listen to Senator David Perdue yesterday, cut one. Look, President Trump's very frustrated. I'm very frustrated. And we're going to do everything we possibly can to make sure that whatever anomalies are uncovered in November don't happen in January. But this is illogical for any Republican to think that, oh, I'm just going to sit down and not vote and hand, as you say, the keys over to the Democrats. We know what's at stake. This is the last line of defense against their radical liberal uh, uh, agenda that once they do this, we won't get it back. Look, Chuck Schumer said just two weeks ago, um, take Georgia, change America. Two days later, AOC said, oh, yeah, we need those two state, two seats in Georgia because we do not want to negotiate. We want the Green New Deal without compromise. We know that they'll move to a one-party system. And Warnock is for the New Green Deal. He's against guns, and he seems to be against the military if you're like God. This seems to be a very black-and-white election. There's not a lot of nuance here. 
Uh, Griff, I don't know if you had a chance to walk around. It seems like this to me is all in or all out. It is all in or all out, but I'll tell you, and that was a great soundbite to play because, you know, Senator Perdue is really synonymous with pretty much everything Donald Trump stands for, President Trump does, and Warnock couldn't be more different. But here's the challenge, and that is the president has interjected himself in this runoff in a very uh, 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 long-time GOP strategist here in Georgia that's run many races that uh, I've gotten to know over the years. I reached out to him yesterday and said, you know, are you concerned that the president continuing to fight uh, about the election results here and continuing to, to bicker with the governor and uh, ultimately the Secretary of State here, who are Republicans, will hurt voter turnout that the Democrats can advantage at. And he said, yes, you know, we, we worry what should be easily winnable uh, uh, runoff races to hold on to the Senate. Six could be higher uh, is now going to be uh, perhaps in question. We won't know until after the election exactly whether or not and how much, if it does at all, impact uh, voter turnout for the Republicans. Well, real quick, on Purdue, this whole thousands of stock trades, and we know uh, Kelly Loeffler has been accused of of trading when they heard when she got word of the pandemic hitting. They both, I believe, have been investigated and have been exonerated, but it still made the front page of the New York Times. Is that a, is there a buzz on the street about that? You know, I got to tell you, here in Georgia, I don't think that's top of mind for those voters. I mean, there are certainly uh, folks in the New York Times and, and a lot of political writers that would have a, a due diligence to, to look into those issues. But, you know, the Democrats see their biggest uh weapon to use is the president himself uh, going after Republicans, trying to separate the, the, the GOP base here in, uh, in the suburbs and in the rural areas. And I just don't think that's going to be an issue uh, the way it might have mm-hmm. been uh, had we been talking about this a month before. And Griff, just keep in mind, you're going to be there for a couple of days. Don't run up the expense account. I don't want to be called in for a third-party witness, character witness. <laughs> this is going to be it's going to be litigated over the course of weeks. Okay, just Applebee's and room service, that's it. I, I can make no promises because I've got a daughter who's a sophomore at the University of Georgia, and my credit card's already maxed out with Georgia bills. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him, Griff. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. Listen, when we come back, John Cooper joins us, lead vocalist and bassist and songwriter producer for Skillet, one of the best-selling rock bands of the 21st century, which I believe we're in. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, here we go. I am alive and awake, and Skillet wrote it. John Cooper put it out, and he joins us now. He's got a brand-new book. It's called The Truth in Chaos of a Relativistic World, uh, Awaken Alive to the Truth, I should say, uh, The Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic world, uh, World. So, John, in a time in which it's hard for performers to get in front of an audience, you are doing something for your audience. Good job. 
Yeah, thanks very much. It's so cool to talk to you again, Brian. Yeah, same here. I understand you have a podcast too, right? I do. I have a podcast called Cooper Stuff Podcast. It only comes out once a week, and we talk about culture and how it kind of relates to a, a Christian worldview and, and philosophy, things like that. So what are you trying to get across here in this book? I mean, I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading it, going through it now, and it seems as though you're upset a little bit by how the, uh, how the religious world is meshing with the real world. And you say in this time of pandemic, a lot of people are confused. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the thing is this. I notice it's all over the world. Everywhere I've traveled is pretty much the same thing. And it's the fact that we don't believe in truth anymore. Um, and, and I don't mean that we don't agree on what the truth is. We don't tend to believe there is any truth at all, any absolute truth. And, and that is, has really wrecked the entire world. And, and people don't know who to trust. They don't know what's right, what's wrong. And the same thing happening we see in po- American politics and, and government – those kind of questions are really happening in the Christian church as well. It's a worldwide problem, and, uh, and, and I wanted to write about that because people are, are just so confused. They are uh, in a time in which people are reevaluating everything. Some of their – a lot of people's careers have blown up. Their lives have changed. People have lost their lives. They're still dealing uh, with this. I mean we're dealing with people trying to uh, battle for their businesses. I also think we're putting too much of our value and identity into politicians these days, Right. My guy or my woman lost, and and it hurts my self-esteem. Yes, yes. I mean, I think that that's part of the, on a cultural uh, side, if you take religion out of your life, then you want to fill that void with something. And, you know, that's not just religion. That can be the things that we love, family, um, friendship, loyalty. You know, there are things like that that we, we naturally want as humans. But we're kind of being raised in a time when we're really devoid of all of those things. So politics has really become more like religion, and and wokeness is definitely a religion. And wokeness has its own acts of service almost, you know, (laughs) and the things that you have to do and, and, you know, virtue signaling, cancel culture. Those are all really like acts of worship for the religion of wokeness. And so people are, are... devoid of things that matter in their life, and then they're, they're pumping other things into it. And that is why, that is why we, are, we are so incredibly divided. As you said, with the pandemic, no one knows what to believe because we're being told it's the worst thing ever. Don't leave your house. But then you got all the politicians not uh, adhering to their own orders. So it shows you that they don't really believe this. So why are they trying to control me? What's true? Is it actually dangerous for me to leave my house? Or is it not dangerous? So people will, will, you know, when they are devoid of these things that matter, they begin to pump it up with other things, and you act as if they act as if it's a religion, and that's why it's such dogma, and it's it's ripping people apart. So I really wanted to write this book. It's more theology, it's more Christian based, but there are so many things that are similar to what we are seeing in our everyday life in American politics and, and the way our government is because. If the woke crowd wants to burn down all of the institutions, like uh, just Americanism in general, well, guess what one of those institutions is? It's religion, because this country was founded on a, a Christian worldview from Protestantism and, and, and uh, natural rights from John Locke and things like that. So if you're going to burn down all the traditions, guess who else is getting burned down? It's, it's religion. So it only makes sense. 
So that's really what inspired the book. And also think about this. They're trying to attack our history. They're pulling down statues, have 1619 over 1776. Uh, and then Absolutely. they passed legislation to get rid of all monuments in Washington, D.C.? It's crazy, and we see this, and I know that you talk about this a lot on your show, so I won't regurgitate everything that you say most all the time, but it really is true. When, when you want to have a revolution, especially a Marxist revolution, things like that, you have to attack history, and you have to rewrite things. You reframe. That's how you, that's how you use propaganda to do it, and that as well, Brian— it's also happening in the church. All of a sudden, we have uh, brand new ideas about Christianity that, that have, no one has taken seriously in, in 500 years or since the Reformation. No one has taken these ideas seriously, but you begin to get into Christianity. You know, you stick your fingers in, in the cake, in the pie, and you start reworking it. You start massaging it to fit new kinds of narratives. And now, within Christianity, we have these offshoots happening that really are bastardizing the gospel, just like uh, the 1619 Project bastardizes American history. John Cooper with us, Awaken Alive to Truth, uh, is uh, now out. His book comes out, uh, came out on the 27th. John, real quick, you say pastors should not be famous. If you're a pastor, stop trying to be a celebrity, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's, part, that's one of the little things that, that bothers me. I wrote about this a little bit in my book, and I do want to say the only place you can get the book is my website because I self-published it. So go to johnlcooper.com, johnlcooper.com. But I did write about it a little bit, and it, it's, not that, it's not that you want to make you know, pastors or – they're not victims. You, you pastor because it's a calling, and your calling is not to be loved. Your calling is not to be liked. Yeah. Your calling is to tell truth no matter the call. You hear that, Reverend Sharpton? John Cooper, thanks so much. Pick up Awaken Alive. Appreciate it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, uh, from New York, heard around the country, uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Actually, around the world, we got people who call it from Australia and Vietnam, uh, and those are the two markets I'm looking to corner. Steve Maloyal is going to be with us uh, at the bottom of the uh, of this hour. We're going to take a look at the, the Joe Biden's quest if he becomes president to revitalize the Paris Climate Accord. He is guy. He's a former Trump and Pence uh, EPA transition team uh, member and founder of JunkScience.com. He knows the perfect thing for President Trump to do to make sure we never enter the Paris Climate Accord. And when did you, can I just state this in, in case it's not obvious? The reason why the president got out of the Iranian deal and got out of the Paris deal is because President Obama never ver- uh, never verified it and never ratified it because they didn't have the support in the Senate. That's the problem. So before we get to Shannon Bream, uh, she's still a little groggy. A lot of times she'll sleep right up until this. Uh, she goes on the air with me. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. So uh, that can't be limiting. I don't think that's a big deal. Just cancel everything. You got it? Everything. 
It's happening again. Democratic governors are locking down their states as the virus surges. Only this time, their people are fighting back with stats and data that says they shouldn't remain open. Fueling their cause are two things, a desire to survive and the countless cases of political hypocrisy. Politicians ignoring their own oppressive rules. Number two. We've had a few battles, but nobody worked harder for Donald Trump before November 3rd, and I've continued to support his efforts in the campaigns any way that I legally could uh, post the election, and I'll continue to do that. And one of those was supporting the legal process to play out. And that's what we're seeing play out maybe today. Senate, uh, the Georgia Senate runoff is about to get some presidential attention as the Republican governor looks to fix the voting issue. They still have the presidential race in doubt, while he also tries to smooth over the friction with the president of the United States. Number one. All the ballot suitcases were sealed and they were just stacked in the corner of the warehouse. And for me, I thought this is just not secure. Someone could just wheel these. I could have wheeled them out to my car. I could have wheeled them to the loading dock. I could have changed out ballots. I could have done anything. Witnesses at the Georgia State hearing. The fight goes on after the President of the United States and more witnesses uh, to fraud step forward, giving the President the sense that he could take Georgia and maybe Nevada. Will these cases get traction? Let's pose that to a legal mastermind, Shannon Bream. Shannon, uh, I know you've been covering this. I've been watching the, the replay in the morning as I make my way to work and try to look prepared. So do you believe that there's some legal traction here taking place in Nevada or Georgia? Well, listen, the case in Nevada yesterday, um, the judge, we should hear a decision from him possibly today. Um, but that was the case where we were told we're going to hear the witnesses. We're going to hear things under oath. Um, you're finally going to see everything that we have. And for some people, it was a bit of a dud. Now, they do have sworn affidavits. And they have testimony from people who reported all kinds of things that they think um, were questionable about the voting machines, about how they were set to read more signatures than um, they normally would, uh, meaning that more ballots would pass through without inspection. So, you know, you have um, hundreds of people now who have made sworn statements and affidavits under oath. We've seen them testify in Michigan, in Georgia and Pennsylvania, Nevada. I mean, we've watched all these things. I don't know that it's enough. Um, of a collection of things that within, what, 10 days before the electors are supposed to go to the Electoral College or, you know, do the formal vote, I don't know that there's going to be enough traction there. But you also have a couple things pending at the Supreme Court now. Um, and all, is it, it, all it takes is for the one right case to go the president's way to get him some momentum. Um, and that's what he would need right now, because so far there have been a lot of losses in court for the Trump campaign. They need some wins and they need them soon. It doesn't mean that these aren't real cases of fraud, right? It doesn't mean exactly. that they didn't witness things in these small counties or big counties that is disturbing. It doesn't mean that they weren't blocked from observing. That it, right. All these things, it's not as if they're making it up. These are real people that signed affidavits. Right. It means something, but does it mean enough? Right. And that's the issue because, you know, one of the first affidavits that got my attention a couple weeks ago was from Jesse Jacobs, a woman who has worked for the city of Detroit for more than 30 years. And I'd heard her story. I talked to her attorney about her, um, her credibility, her claims. Uh, but we got to see her testify this week in Michigan. And wow. I mean, if you had a chance to watch her, you could see how hard this was for her, how nervous she was. Um, She's an immigrant to this country, and she kept saying, I can't believe how amazing this country is, that it's given me all these opportunities. 
But I also couldn't stay silent because this isn't the way that Democratic voting is supposed to work. And I didn't want this on my conscience. Um, you know, there were a couple of Democratic uh, state lawmakers, uh, one in particular who gave her a tough time with saying, spell your name and who are you? And really a feeling of kind of intimidating her and, and not seeming very open to hearing what she had to say. Um, and the question came up, listen, if we were making these allegations after Joe Biden had lost, wouldn't you want to hear the truth about what happened? This shouldn't be about party. It was obviously difficult for this woman to come forward. Um, but these are real people who are telling real stories. I mean, she said that people were going into voting booths telling people how to vote. She says she was told to change the dates on when things came in. She was told not to ask for ID. I mean, these are her sworn statements, not just on paper, but what she said before people in public uh, in Michigan this week. So it, the question is, is it enough? And remember, they found thousands of votes in Georgia uncounted. They used to the balance of which went to the president. So close the gap a little bit. Now, in Nevada, the, the Trump legal team says uh, fraud includes 1,500 dead voters, 42,248 multiple voters, a person voting multiple times. And that led Ronna McDaniel to say this, cut 20. If you total all of that, it means Donald Trump will win Nevada. If you have 42,000 voters double voting, including people voting from abandoned residences and casting votes, we've had staff on the ground knocking doors and actually collecting this evidence and running against our data. And I do think it's important that we get to the bottom of this, especially with Nevada and the law changes that they put in place before this election, which we sued um, them for doing. We lost in court because they codified it into law, but they absolutely tried to make it the most porous election so everybody got a ballot so that anybody could vote, whether you live there or not. They didn't check their voter rolls. And this is what you're getting, chaos on the back end. And I think it's good that we call this to, to attention and we make sure that we don't let this happen again. And I'm glad it's in the courts. And we were, or, so you heard that. It, it's, if they can substantiate that, are we going to see that? Are we going to hear about this? Well, listen, that stuff is pending before that uh, state judge in Nevada uh, after that hearing yesterday. So we'll see what he thinks of it and whether he uh, thinks it's enough to move forward. I thought something very interesting as well out there, there was an affidavit from a data scientist who crunched the numbers and looked at how many Nevada ballots had things missing, birth dates, addresses, or the ones that had listed as an address, um, a P.O. box or, um, you know, some other non-substantive um, um, home address that you could go check out that maybe didn't comply with the law's requirements for what you list. And she said that back in 2016, there were 68 ballots in Nevada. This is her count that had some, some of those problems. This time she said there were over 13,000. So she's like, listen, I'm just a data scientist. I have questions. I, I can't say this is voter fraud, but it makes me ask questions like how do we have this enormous jump in problem ballots in this one particular county um, from 68 four years ago to more than 13,000 this time, it suggests to me there's more to the story. So again, there's a lot of smoke for a lot of people. Will it be enough for judges to say there's actual fire, we're going to overturn vote counts? Not likely, but that doesn't mean that somebody can't keep fighting and doesn't have every right to exhaust every legal option. So when you uh, when you say that the Trump team's got to put together their their uh, make their case in Nevada, are you not convinced that they made a good case? I don't know if it's enough um, okay. to turn things around because um, the numbers like certainly said, are enough, right? 
I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't watch every bit of that uh, hearing in Nevada yesterday, so I couldn't tell you definitively. I think the numbers are enough. I think there are possibilities there. Is there going to be a judge who's willing to step up and say, okay, the testimony from, I think they were limited to deposing 15 witnesses. Is the testimony of these 15 who say, I saw the mishandling, the machines weren't working, that kind of thing, does that add up to enough to then go after 20, 30, 40,000 ballots? I don't know. We're going to have to see what this judge does today. The allegations are there. The clock is ticking. Um, Like I said, they've got to have some wins and have them soon to have any real chance. But as the president said, this shouldn't be happening in this country. If there is fraud, if there is deception, we got to uncover it, not just for this year, but for moving forward, because the American people have to have confidence that their vote counted. I mean, we saw a woman testify, I think it was in Georgia yesterday. She went and voted in person, and the next day found out that somebody had, and this is on election day, found out that somebody had voted under her name October 7th. I mean, these are weird stories, and they're real stories, and they're sworn testimony. So there's a lot we need to figure out, because um, I think people are going to have a real doubts about the credibility of our elections, and no American should have to feel that way ever. I know, and we could always do that thing. We put together a blue ribbon panel, and then the blue ribbon panel comes out with their findings, and no one pays attention to it. But current mm-hmm. at, every time you ask for identification, they say you're trying to suppress the vote. Uh, when you don't ask for identification, you're looking to get illegals to vote, and both parties seem to be sitting in their corners with that. i got to bring you to something else you covered uh, in your first 15 minutes, which are our first two topics today, and that is the lockdown shutdown and the duplicity mm-hmm. among these lawmakers that are reprimanding us and demanding things from me and you and everybody listening but are not doing it themselves. You brought Dan Patrick in, the lieutenant governor, and you talk about that that belligerent, that uh, that arrogant Texas judge that was belittling that salon owner who refused to close down so she could make a living. And this judge, this, uh, this judge Glenn Whiteley last month, asked Greg Abbott uh, for, a, for a more authority to fine people for not wearing masks. And guess what? On Thanksgiving, they put out a photo in front of, uh, uh, in, in front of their house showing uh, five cars, an RV camper, and a whole bunch of people. He's not wearing a mask. And this is, this is the judge Clay Jenkins. This is the one with Dallas. This judge, who in June pushed for a countrywide mask mandate, was photographed maskless at a wedding party in early October, uh, prompting Dan Patrick to say this, cut 32. We've been pretty wide open, and our people are getting through it. We've had our, we've had our spikes, and we've had our seriousness of, mm-hmm. of this illness, like others. But we've proven in America that lockdowns don't work. You know, and, and mask people have different opinions. Again, I, I wear masks to, as a courtesy to other people. I wear a mask to protect myself at times. I'm out with lots of people in my job. Uh, mm-hmm. But I believe people should make their own decisions, let businesses make their own decisions. I trust them. But people need to be smart. They do need, you know, social distance, wash your hands, all those things. But people are fed up, fed up with these elected officials that, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And, and, and somehow their life, is more important than than your life. Steve Adler, the mayor of uh, Austin, Texas, tells everyone to stay at home while in Cabo on vacation. Michael Hancock, the Denver, uh, Colorado mayor, who came out and decided to travel while telling everyone else not to travel on Thanksgiving, he did. Senator Dianne Feinstein, she's like 100 years old. She has not worn a mask that we've seen walking through airports. This uh, mayor of San Francisco going to that famous French laundry restaurant while everybody else is locked down and told we can't even eat outdoors along with the governor of California. And I got another 10 I could reel off. This has got to be the Mm -hmm. most galling of this entire thing with this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, if you want people to buy in, they have to believe that there's data and science backing it up. 
and or that you're making the sacrifice with them. I think anytime somebody says, you can't see your family for Thanksgiving, you can't do this, you can't do that, I'm going to sneak off to Cabo or I'm going to do whatever, you completely lose people and you need the public's buy-in if you want to have these restrictions. The other part of this is you're now seeing more and more business leaders, business owners, pastors, rabbis, people standing up and saying like, no, this is ridiculous. You don't have data to support what you're asking me to do. You're not living by it. So I'm not going to. This guy up in Staten Island uh, at Max to see he declares an autonomous zone. People kind of laugh about it. But listen, it works for weeks and weeks in Seattle. And we all remember what happened inside that autonomous zone. There were people actually killed. Um, There were businesses that were destroyed. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the police, whether they were told to stand down or they decided it was too dangerous to get involved, you know, I believe there's some local leadership there saying, let this thing play out. But day one of Autonomous Zone for Max, um, and he is eventually let out in cuffs. A business owner who was saying, listen, I'm not going to survive this. And I think people just see the hypocrisy, and it is so, so frustrating to them. Um, and you're not going to get compliance when you um, yeah. you know, say one thing and do another. Yeah, and Shannon, the other thing, just mind, there wasn't a lockdown in Staten Island. There was a lockdown on his zip code. What virus right. sticks to a zip code? Right. It's the stupidest <laughs> right. thing ever. Like a, and right, and like lastly, and a half away. Yeah, when you talk about anarchy uh, and defunding the police— uh, you know, it's happening in New York, and the latest one is after the protests outside the mayor's mansion, he decides to listen to them and disband and, and take away from the NYPD their 86-man unit that just focused on the homeless situation. So mm-hmm. now 2,500 homeless complaints, 311 vagrant, uh, vagrants desperately trying for help, nobody answered. Because this idiot mayor with uh, who's wanted to save $4.5 million by taking this away didn't replace them. So the, the mm-hmm. police are told to crack down on the Max uh, Max's bar and grill. But they're letting the mm-hmm. homeless run rampant, attack people, throw people onto tracks. You're allowed to protest and loot, but you're not allowed to get together for a wedding. So this is the stuff that I will remember from this uh, terrible 2020. How awful, how awful so many of our mayors and governors are. Final thought? Uh, are you going to run against de Blasio? Because <laughs> I get the feeling... Um, that Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Independents, I mean, there is a lot of unhappiness with him up there in New York. Um, and I think he might be ripe for our challenge. Kill me 2022. When's he up again? He's probably he's up in a year and a half and I'll probably do it. I'll <laughs> okay. probably run. No, actually, right, uh, John Castamatidis might run. Who owns WABC. Yeah. And he will run and I will fully support that. Okay. We'll I'm, be standing by. I'm you know, coming, if you do any, like you're going to go to the to the rallies and maybe sing God Bless America or something? I, well, anytime I could sing in front of a crowd, that'll be happy, but nobody's allowed to because that would bring too much enjoyment <laughs> true. to life. That's but, true. I'll be your backup dancer. Our, with I know. Dance tonight's song. your dance party, right? It is. It's very sad and solo these days, but ah. one day soon we're coming back. Shannon Bream, 11 o'clock tonight, Eastern. Go get him, Shannon. Yeah. Bye. Back with your calls. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think I'm speaking for a whole lot of uh, millions and millions of Americans I'm speaking for here. Um, our, our so-called leaders that are using our tax money to pay themselves by their instilling policy upon us to ruin our businesses and our lives. Uh, it's not making much sense to me. And after months and months of watching this, uh, they put me in a position where, um, you know, you can only be back in the corner so far. We've got to come out fighting here a little bit. And I'm, I'm really frustrated with the way things are handled, uh, particularly between, um, you know, the state legislators and, and my governor. Yeah, and I don't blame the business owners trying to speak up because they're being abused. I, I don't blame them. Ricardo, you're in Texas. Hey, Ricardo. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Listen, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you on your uh, conviction and defending the Republican philosophies. And I, I appreciate it because I'll tell you, some of the other Fox commentators are are going on the way thing. Yeah, but, but well, I, I, I appreciate you listening to the show, Ricardo. In Texas, you also point out that Mexico requires voter ID, and that's not yeah. discriminatory. Why not here? Well, I'll be honest with you, Brian. You know, I live in a very blue area. This year, a lot of us went red, but but let me tell you, I have voted, and I have never heard anybody complain to show their license. Absolutely, because it, because if people are cheating, it cancels out your vote. Thank you so much. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. First thing I would do the day one as president, I'd rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. And that climate accord, there's a provision we have in there that says that we're going to have to continue to up the ante, make it make higher and higher standards. And one of the first things I would do, I would call an international conference in the United States of America with all these folks and say, here's the deal. We have to all increase. We got to up our ante here and what we're prepared to do. It's Joe Biden who says uh, if he becomes president, he is going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. What does that mean and how can we stop it? Uh, China and Russia are not adhering to it. Why are we pretending it's actually working when our emissions are going down anyway with the free market? Steve Malloy joins us uh, now. You know, uh, Steve, as a former Trump-Pence EPA transition team member and founder of JunkScience.com. Steve, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Steve, I think one of the most disturbing things I've seen is John Kerry uh, back in Washington. He's going to be the climate czar. And they're going to rejoin the, pirate, uh, the Paris Climate uh, Accord. And what bothers me most is this country has worked so hard to become number one with energy. We're going to abdicate that throne unless we could do something, right? Yeah. I mean, we have gone from energy dependence to energy independence to energy dominance under President Trump. And John Kerry wants to roll all that back. And for no reason. You know, when John Kerry signed on to the Paris Climate Accord in 2015 – in his speech in Paris, he said, you know, cutting U.S. emissions is not going to matter, but we got to do it anyway. Yeah. He's a genius. <laughs> then, he did, then did he bring Jackson Brown, or uh, who did he bring over to, uh, to uh, the Paris? Oh, right, right. After their bombing. <laughs> no, excuse me, James Taylor. He brought James in James Taylor. Taylor. Right. You got a friend. He's a genius. <laughs> no wonder he didn't win as, as president, Steve. It's a shocker. So, Steve, in particular, as a country, haven't yeah. emissions gone down even before the pandemic? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, of all the Paris Climate Accord signatories, and there's 197 of them, I guess we're out to 196, uh, we are the only major industrial company to, get, uh, to actually cut 
emissions. Uh, everybody else, you know, their emissions have gone up. And, of course, our emissions have gone down because of fracking. And guess what? Joe Biden wants to get rid of fracking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the same with people don't understand the natural gas burns clean. So how do we stop it, Steve? You wrote an editorial in The Wall Street Journal, and you have an idea for the president. So uh, President Obama entered the Climate Accord. Uh, climate Accord has uh, an executive action or basically you know, executive order. And uh, President Trump pulled us out the same way. But Joe Biden has promised to take us back in on, on day one. And I'm concerned because, you know, President Obama uh, had another executive action on DACA, deferred uh, action on childhood arrivals, which the Supreme Court turned into de facto law, even though it's never been passed by Congress. So it's just an executive action. And I think that, you know, the same thing could happen with Joe Biden take us back into the Paris Climate Accord. So I think the way out of this uh, is for President Trump to submit the Paris Climate Accord to the Senate as a treaty, which is what it was. The Obama signed it as an executive action to avoid having to, the Senate to ratify it. So if President Trump dumps it in the Senate, gives it to Mitch McConnell, and, and Mitch McConnell can either bring it up for a vote um, right away like he did with the Green New Deal and trash it, or he can just table it and let it sit there. Either way, it clearly marks the Paris Climate Accord as a treaty and not some sort of executive agreement, which can be you know, later turned into law by a federal court. So if you put it forward and it gets rejected, we could still you, – you don't think that he could do an executive order to implement it? Well, well, look, we live in, a, in an era when, you know, there is – you know, courts don't even apply uh, the law or do, do constitutional things necessarily. So, yes, Biden could ram it down our throats. But I think, you know, this is, the, this is one thing that President Trump could do if yeah. indeed Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated to make it more difficult to do that, to make it more difficult for a federal court. You know, so uh, let the Supreme Court see that this was a treaty, not just some mere executive action. So, so Steve, what does it mean? For the average person listening right now, they, they know it's a climate change thing, but they don't yeah. know what it means for the American taxpayer. Well, yeah. what does it mean for us? Well, I think the most uh, – the, 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 the impact you're going to see soonest is, you know, Joe Biden has promised to ban fracking. Fracking is the reason we don't have 6 to $8 to $10 a gallon gasoline. And if we have gasoline that's that expensive, you know, that's going to trash our economy. I mean, just imagine what if you have to pay 6 $8 for gasoline. What's that going to do to your own budget, especially people who are on fixed income? I mean, it's an economy killer. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the first impact. We're going to see electricity prices go up. And, you know, the climate and the environment, they're not going to improve. The weather is going to stay the same. So this is all pain, no gain. In, uh, in particular, what have we noticed over the last five years? Have you had a chance to observe who's adhering to it, who's not, what's changed and what hasn't? Well, you know, lots of countries claim they're cutting emissions, but what they're actually doing is just exporting uh, their emissions to, uh, you know, European countries are exporting their emissions to China. Global emissions uh, are going up, and there's no end in sight, and that's not Steve Malloy saying it, that's the U.N. The U.N. has documents that say that. They're at record levels and going up with no end in sight. You know, the United States could go dark today, stop emitting for the next 100 years, it would only make like a five or seven percent difference in global in, in atmospheric CO2, which is would be undetectable in terms of temperature. What's the point? There's no point to doing this. True. And when it comes to coal, we're you know the coal industry is still suffering, even though the president tried to reemphasize it. But guess who's buying coal? China. Yeah, China right now, as we speak, is building 300 coal plants. I mean, if you're sitting at home eating fake meat to save the planet, <laughs> you know, you're being offset. That's incredible. Uh, this, through this whole pandemic, 
Americans have stopped traveling. We know the oil price has plummeted. The oil industry has laid off a lot of a lot of people. And we, you know, you see it in you see it in Manhattan. I can see it visibly. You actually see some of the benefits. Are we learning anything from this period in which we're forced to stay at home, basically? Well, I don't know that uh, most of us are learning anything, but the left is learning something. The left is learning, you know, if we declare an emergency, let's say we go from COVID emergency to climate emergency, we can shut down the economy again, which is what they want to do. We can control everything, which is what they want to do, which is what climate is all about. Climate is not about changing or improving the climate or the weather or the environment. It's about control. What you, that's, uh, that's what they're after. Well, what, is, what concerns you about the new Green Deal, which, by the way, uh, Reverend Warnock in Georgia supports? Well, well, the Green New Deal could never be implemented just because it's physically and financially impossible. But that's not going to stop them from trying. And, you know, when they try, uh, they can cause lots of, uh, lots of harm. You know, the Obama administration tried to save the climate by destroying the coal industry. And all they did was destroy 50,000 high-paying coal jobs, hundreds of thousands of other coal jobs, coal communities. They destroyed 95 percent of the market value of the coal industry, and the weather stayed the same. So, you know, them trying to do something impossible, be afraid. Steve, uh, the other thing that's uh, pretty clear is President Obama is being more militant when it comes to uh, the environment. He ridiculed Americans for being too in love with their SUVs and their gas guzzlers <laughs> to ever prevent any type of oil spills that took place during the disaster in the Gulf when he was president. What's your reaction yeah. to that? Well, that's just, you know, uh, detached liberalism. I mean, when President Obama gives up his um, you know, SUVs and the entourage that trails him everywhere gives up his, you know, high-flying lifestyle. Like John Kerry, you know, he's got 12 houses, 20 cars, three jets, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Leonardo DiCaprio. These people are all just hypocrites. And we see it nonstop. Uh, they'll take their private jet to a climate change event and tell everyone uh, in America how bad they are. Uh, Steve, I hope the president takes your advice and puts it up for a, a vote. Barack Obama has himself to blame that the, the Iran deal was blown up and the Paris right. deal was blown up because he could not pass them. In fact, he right. didn't have Democratic support for the Iranian deal, and this certainly wouldn't get in two-thirds through the Senate. But, look, it's going to be jammed down our throat again. Steve, thanks so much. Steve Malloy, All appreciate right, Brian, it. thank you. Go get him. one 408 Bob, you're in Florida. Hey, Bob. Hey, Brian. This is Bob Yauk. Hey, good to hear from you. Hey, I want to thank you for taking my call, and I thank you for seeking the truth. You know, I believe in the truth, and I believe in integrity. So when I don't hear it, I get really fired up. I hear many people say you need to find fraudulent ballots, need to overturn, to, to overturn the election. Well, Brian, that's simply not true. That is fake news. Now, I'm not a constitutional expert, but what I do know is Elections are a way, one way the state legislatures pick their electors. Again, it's not the only way. So if the election is flawed, if the state statutes were violated, if the law was not complied with, then the electors should be chosen by the state legislators. They are responsible. They have this constitutional responsibility, and they get paid the big bucks. All right, that, Bob. Listen, I don't. I don't think there's going to be many that are going to defect. If there's fifty-three thousand more votes in Pennsylvania and eighty thousand here, they're going to do it. The question is, can you find the widespread fraudulent behavior in Nevada? It looks like they did. If they could prove it, they're in. In Georgia, what they're going to if they could get them to look at signatures, they might be able to chance to do it. In Pennsylvania, they've been re- rejected through the courts. In Wisconsin, they think they have another day. If you're looking at six states in particular, Peter, listen to WABC. Hey, Peter. 
Peter, you are on. You're in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Peter. Hey, hey Brian, how are you? Good. What's, um, a, what's on your mind? I, uh, you know, Brian, I'm an I'm a independent. I'm a Trump supporter. I voted for Obama the first time. And, you know, I, I, I'm just I'm an independent thinker with a lot of common sense. And I just can't seem to wrap my head around that. When the Democrats have a whistleblower on Trump, greatest thing ever. When we have people coming forward know, about fraud, you can't you can't trust them. Every single we are not stupid people, and everything it's so apparent what is going on and how we are being controlled with information about what we are getting, and what we're not. And now I'm hearing that they don't want to overturn the election or even think about it because it would upset so many liberals. What is it going to do to the Trump supporters? You know, I mean, this is a very scary time, and I never thought about you know, but. But, I mean, we are coming to a head, and it's very clear that there is lying going on, and there are rules that are broken, and we can't manipulate the rules. We don't get to bend them and say, well, maybe somebody was there, maybe someone was not. And I have one question for you about the video um, that you were talking about and Georgia. the video last night. Yep. If, they, if they say there was an observer in the room with those four other people from 1030 to 130 or whatever in the morning, where's the observer? I don't Where know. are those four people? Where are those four people? Why aren't they being investigated and, and under the lights right now and say, let's get out and get in front of this? I know why, and you really know why, but, you know, it, I mean, it's just insane. And people aren't going to take this. And, and the Trump supporters have sat quietly, done the right thing. And, you know, I mean, we had a, a fake Russia investigation that has come out that it was all fake and you don't hear about it. You know, and I mean, and, and you don't hear it's, it's insanity well, what is going on. And I'll, and I'll end with this. Probably the most egregious thing to back up your premise was the Hunter Biden situation. It wasn't an opinion. You had an eyewitness with no political affiliation. You have documents, emails. This idiot dropped off his laptop with all horrible pictures on there of him smoking crack and doing all these horrible things. And you now you have Absolutely. voice. Now you hear uh, Jeff Zucker saying it's a non-story. The New York Post is going to say it. They're the only ones having it, so we're going to ignore it. But Jake Tapper brought something up, uh, maybe by mistake, yesterday. Listen to this. Cut 38. Will your brothers... Uh, will your son take leave from any business interests, not just foreign, but any business interests that might create any uh, even appearance of impropriety? My son, my family will not be involved in any business, any enterprise that is in conflict with or appears to be in conflict, whether it's appropriate distance from the presidency and government. That's as close as we got to CNN covering that story that they claim was a non-story. All right. Thanks for the call. I understand the frustration. I mean, Griff Jenkins called the Secretary of State a Republican this morning during our show. And he said, look at this video. Look at the claims. And they said, we did look at it already. And there were observers in the room that you couldn't see them. But they were in the room. one 866 Back to wrap things up this hour. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Singapore is now the first country in the world to approve the sale of lab-created meat. Yeah, this is a huge step. Scientists say an achievement like this is very rare. It could be medium rare. (laughs) 
Uh, that's very funny. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade is going to finish up this hour with fun stuff and find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. An Australian family makes a big find. They found a koala in their Christmas tree, so they called the rescue hotline and they thought it was a prank. The McCormick family recounted the moment they noticed a koala hanging onto their artificial tree uh, to the Guardian newspaper located in Britain. And daughter Tyler, I think I said that name, Tilela, whatever, 16, saying they confused the animal. They, uh, they, they were saying the confused animal was pretty tangled up in the lights. Uh, it was a fake tree and very old, but she still tried eating the leaves off. So I saw her munch down some, but she stopped when she realized it was plastic. Her mom, Amanda, recalled thinking it was just a joke. I thought one of my kids may have put a little soft toy in there. But no, it was live. And the Animal Rescue Center, they contacted initially thought the scenario seemed so far-fetched they didn't want to show. That evening, our hotline operator took a call. At first, she thought it was a, a victim of a prank call. But no, the koala, desperately trying to get into the Christmas spirit, wandered into Amanda McCormick's house and decided to eat the tree. Isn't I mean usually you hear like you know tarantulas or snakes or like wander into your house in Australia. This was a koala. That was a cute one. Right. It truly looked like a stuffed animal in the tree. Now, didn't they find an owl on the Rockefeller Plaza uh, tree? They did. So right. here's like a cute part of 2020: cute right. animals and trees. Very good point. So again, koalas never saw one, never interacted with one, but not that bright. Clearly, they they don't have a lot of energy. Right. When you, they don't have a lot of energy, and maybe not a good sense of smell. Plastic smells much different than an evergreen, according yeah. to some. Yeah, not like eucalyptus. Thank you. Warner Brothers strikes a huge deal to move uh, the- to movie theaters. Uh, this is a huge blow, I should say. They're taking their entire inventory and streaming it on HBO Max. Uh, AT&T owns it now. Warner Media shook up Hollywood when it announced this Thursday. The news sent shares of AMC down 14%, Cinemark down 17%, and IMAX down 7%. After one month of streaming on HBO Max, the films uh, will leave the platform and continue to play in theaters. But not many people are going to want to go to theaters, stuff that they could still get streaming, right? I mean, yes or no, right? People pay for experiences all the time. So wouldn't you want the experience of going? That being said, personally, I find it very beneficial because for me to go to the movies with three young kids, it's a little difficult right. and not worth paying a babysitter Again, for. Again, it's all selfish with you. Uh, meanwhile, 17... Uh, the 2021 Warner Brothers lineup has 17 movies, including Dune, Matrix 4, In the Heights, Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Sopranos, the movie, I guess the prequel film, and The Many Saints of Newark. So good luck on HBO Max. It's, I, I will say this, actually, I get not to, we just subscribed. There are some nice options. And, I mean, if you're a movie person and you're going to be able to watch it at the same time, right, would you subscribe? Would that make you subscribe? You like going to the movies, though. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, no one's going to the movies now. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to shoot. Check this out. Chris Collinsworth, the other night on the game, he's all upset with himself because he made what people are saying is a sexist comment. Raven Steelers, Chris Collinsworth, listen. In particular, the ladies that I met, they had really specific questions about the game. I was like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. So he was saying he couldn't believe how, how, much, how many questions women, Pittsburgh Steelers women, asked him about the game. And that they were very specific and actually knew the game. Imagine. Right. Today on our broadcast, he apologized. I made a reference to a couple of women that I met in Pittsburgh who were so impressed me with their football knowledge. I know the way I phrased it insulted many. I am sorry. I intended to compliment the fans of Pittsburgh, but became an insult. I'm sick uh, about insulting any fan, but especially female fans. Are you insulted? 
Uh, he meant it as a compliment. No. Uh, absolutely People need not. to relax. People got to relax. He's, by, by the way, he's the A-team. Him without Michaels, they're the best. Former wide receiver the Bengals. Totally agree. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.